Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello, listeners. Nine years ago on this very day, Peter Drury famously declared there to be a tidal wave on the Thames as plucky little Fulham dumped German giants Hamburg out of the Europa League, crashing the final in their own backyard. Altogether now, Hamburg will host the final. Fulham will play play in it. That night, Fulham booked their place to become only the 17th English team to play in a major European final and gave us all one of our greatest moments while doing so. Since then, things haven't gone so well for either of the sides involved that evening, with the Whites now yo-yoing between the top two flights of English football, whilst the mighty Hamburg saw themselves relegated from the Bundesliga for the first time ever last summer after a few years struggling at the foot of the table, ending their record as the only side never to be relegated from the German top table. I might not be Peter Drury yet, but my name is Jack Collins and I'll be your narrator tonight, attempting to deliver some happiness back into the folds of the Fulham faithful after a tough season. Although aided at the moment by Scotty's resurgent white. Joining me are three men who are undertaking this morale-boosting mission with me. The Professor of Positivity, potently providing pleasing parables from countless countries across the continent. It's Ben Jarman. Hello. (laughs) The Sunshine Stats Sorcerer. Intelligently interpreting integers to exponentially enlighten the essence of your evening. It's George Singer. Lovely, thank you, Jack. And the dynamic daddy-to-be. The father figure of feeling friendly for Fulham, our very own Peng Padre. Drew Heatley is in the building. (laughs) Gentlemen. (laughs) How are we? I'm having that. That's it, we're good. That's sick. <laughs> How are we? Good. Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Fire in the booth. Fire in the booth. Yeah, Charlie, 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 if you want to hit me, we will rewind that tape. Drew, do you want to start us off with some three-word reviews? Yep, sure, we got some, some here. Uh, I was talking to Ben earlier about the sort of the existential crisis you have watching Fulham when it means absolutely nothing. And the first three-word review is from Jack and Loz. Meaningless but meaningful. Nice. Sort of uh, echoes that. Uh, we've got Pete Salino, Babble Extension Clause. Sadly, that uh, doesn't exist, um, but uh, we can dream. And Laura Rads with Bittersweet Victory, which got the uh, the song in my head. Uh, Bittersweet Symphony all the rest of the afternoon. We do like the verve. Just before we get started, Fulhamish is sponsored for the season by Labrooks. Download the Labrooks app and play 1-2-3, a free game where you have to predict three correct Premier League scores, get all three right and win £100. Get just one right and win a free £2 bet and two correct for a free £5 bet. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> How about that? Better responsibly, chaps. Free stuff. No, it's literally free. You don't have to pay for it. Isn't that mm. good? Never see a broke... No, hang on. Never met a broke book. <laughs> no, wanna, me I neither. Right, um, let's get on to Cardiff. Another win. Three on the bounce for Fulham. Three clean sheets for Fulham. George, what did you make of it? It was the first time in a while I've actually enjoyed watching a Fulham game. I thought we were we were pretty good. We looked really comfortable on the ball. I think for the first time in a long time, it felt like you know, a side with real balance. The midfield worked together quite nicely. Controlled the game kind of from, from start to finish, really, and... It's always uh, it's always fun getting one over on Colin, isn't it? Always, always. Was that the main draw for you, Drew? Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about Cardiff, and no doubt that you know the fact that they did shit the bed made it a lot more of a pleasant afternoon for us. I'm just trying to work out whether you know we are actually a, a, a de- looking like a decent side, or whether we're just playing with abandon now that we are you know free of the millstone that was around our necks. I can't work it out particularly. Ben, something that interested me, and I'm sure will interest George and yourself as well, was that our expected goals was far, far lower than Cardiff's, who, who should have, by the by the numbers, scored more than us. Is that a worry, or is that something that we can take kind of a positive out of? I think 
from my perspective, I don't know about you, George, but it's a little bit of a worry for for me. A lot of our shots came from outside the box, which for for me personally demonstrates that we're really struggling to get in there and get to those bylines and create high quality chances. And if you, I think George yourself may have actually produced some nice grabs of our average shots, and a lot of them from outside that box, weren't they? It was, and it was one of them outside the box which actually went in in the in the first place. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, for those of you who uh, who follow me on Twitter at singer underscore FFC, if you fancy it, great um, plug, yeah, <laughs> great plug. Um, uh, yeah, so no, started pulling together some new uh, kind of post match data reports, as you might have seen. Um, one graph which is on its way, uh, and I might be able to tweet before this pod goes live, is uh, the XG timeline. So how the expected goals uh, kind of accrue over the match period and when you when you plot it that way rather than just the high level numbers you see kind of up to about 80 odd minutes Fulham kind of genuinely outperform Cardiff and then it got, got to that last 10 minutes where they just kind of went hell to leather and that's when they got all their shots and that's where they got you know their their best chances um, and that's where we saw Sergio Rico again pull off an absolute absolute blinder and uh, and keep them out obviously one of them hit the bar which was pretty close but you know throughout the the majority of the game I thought we were we were clearly on top and the expected numbers do reflect that. Drew you just mentioned Rico there George He's had another good game. There's, you know, it's been stick, and he's had he's had bad times this season. But again, proving he is actually a world class shot stopper. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know all of the criticisms have been levelled at him, chiefly to do with one element of his game, which is which is catching the ball. Uh, so you know, when you put that in perspective, it does seem a bit silly. But um, now he's he's a quality keeper. He's a great keeper. Um, it just seems a bit sort of again, it's back to that existential crisis that we're having. You know, he's not going to be here next year. So what's the uh, you know what's the point in it all? And I'm not sure. Uh, but no, he, he proved again that. He's a, he's a good keeper um, and he'll do well for whoever he ends up playing for next year. Ben, you were an early exponent of Sergio Rico. Is he fulfilling that promise now? Um, to an extent, yeah. I think finally people are starting to come around to understand what worth that he can actually bring. And I think these last three games in particular with the three back-to-back clean sheets has sort of underlined the fact that how good Rico can actually be and, and, and would actually be for us if he had a competent defence in front of him that he has done for the past sort of handful of games and I think his stock right when he was called into the team at the first in the first instance was was very much at a high uh, I think a lot of people trusted him but then obviously going through what we have this season his stock decreases as a result and there were some games where he was just really rubbish and and, and labeled right uh, and labeled that rightly so but like I say, I think a lot of the a lot of our fans, especially on social media recently, which is where we get most of our opinions from, um, are really on board with Rico, and, and a lot of them want him to stay next year. And I think there's a question coming up: was would we give Sevilla, Fabri, and a decent sum of money to keep Rico for next season? I know he's already made it pretty clear that he would like to stay in London and, and with Fulham next season, but obviously, can we get it done? And what will we do with three? pretty much starting goalkeepers yeah fair enough let's go on to the goal George goal of the season for you or is it not quite Schurler versus Burnley uh, it's got to be up there surely I mean with considering with, with him actually <laughs> surely lovely yeah. Um, um, yeah I mean it it seems to be bizarre this season how we've had so kind of you know few points to actually celebrate and yet we've got some of the best goals of the season was it two two goal of the months already um, and we could potentially have another one here. I thought it was a, a really lovely finish and no no less than we deserved during the match. What about Schurler versus Cardiff 
away. Another good one. That was yeah. quite a good goal. Scherler scored quite a lot of good goals, <laughs> to be fair to him. But no, you know, nobody likes Andre Scherler apparently. So you know, you know, all of those Scherler haters will be happy that Barbell hit that one on the on the weekend and here first time as well, which. You know, it, actually, when I saw it live, I thought it was literally top top bins, no, no, nowhere uh, near anywhere else. But it it wasn't quite like that. But it was still first time here, and you know, it's probably not goal of the season for me. It's probably that still probably does belong to Andre, but it was a nice one to see in the flesh behind the, in the hammy end. No keeper was getting near that. That's an unbelievable strike. No, it's a fantastic finish, especially to go across your body. First time with an angle that's short as well and small as well is it's is an exceptional technique. I don't know if any of you guys see, saw this, but the club posted about Ryan Babble's thighs today. Yeah, and I they did are see the this. weirdest set they of look thighs very I've strange. ever seen. I'm not sure it's leg day more than you know roast day and or injecting fat directly into your upper thigh. I don't know. <laughs> <Slightly> <laughs> I'm not concerning. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit weird. Uh, the assist. Came from none other than the boy Cyrus Christie. Uh, he did all right when he came on, and and for someone who's been out of favour and came off the bench cold, I thought it was a you know a decent performance. I think he, he he gets a lot of abuse, and we've obviously mentioned it countless times before on the pod. And I think when when he plays well, we should give him credit. And I thought that was you know it was a good bit of build up play. He found some space in the in the middle of the pitch. Um, you know, if he keeps putting in performances like that, I see no reason why he can't be a, a fairly decent performer next season with us in the championship. Do I think he'd be the best right back in the championship? No. Probably not, but he'd be a, a good option and a good, uh, you know, a good good guy to to have on the bench and as rotation. I think he's definitely got some good qualities. It was actually really nice to see him taking it upon himself to run into that space because over the last sort of ten to twelve matches, we really rarely seen Cyrus do that and it was nice that for once he decided you know what I am going to press on I'm going to attack that fullback and, and the midfielder and you know drive into space and make make space for Babel which is which was awesome and he didn't do it against Bournemouth the only thing I'd like to say about both the fullbacks in this instance is that in the last 10 minutes when Cardiff are launching balls into the box both of them just switch off completely for, for free headers in, in that last period of play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for, for you, Drew, if, is there, there is a history, I suppose, at, at Fulham of players who are openly criticised and seen as very weak links, turning things around and becoming almost cult heroes by the end of it. You know, you look at the likes of Chris Baird, you look at the likes of Tim Ream, all came under fierce criticism in their first real seasons at, at Fulham. Is there scope for someone like Cyrus to do that? Yeah, I I do think there is. You know, he's got energy uh, in industry and enthusiasm and, you, and he is a competent player. So when you can, you know, those are the best attributes you can have. And even though we've had it, he's had a rough year as, as, we, as a lot of the players have, you can see that, you know, when he has that and we're starting to go on a bit of a run and confidence is, is rising, when he comes on, uh, you see almost a different player to, to what you do in some of the some of his lowest moments. He absolutely can do it. My concern is if we have all of this, we've had this season that we've seen how terribly ill-equipped we've been for the Premier League and then you're going into a championship season where we're looking to rebuild and if we say, right, Cyrus Christie's going to have that right-back spot, it, it makes me question everything yeah of course I mean I, I think that we will go and acquire a right back in the summer what I'm saying is that you know we went and acquired centre backs <coughs> and midfielders and right backs when we had Baird and, and Ream already in the team and, and they man- managed to come in make a name for themselves and establish a spot and that's not I think it would be 
ill-advised not to acquire a new right back as a first choice. I'm just suggesting that if that person was then taken out of the team by good performances, there is room for people to recover their reputation. Here. Absolutely. He's got all the ingredients to be able to do that 100%. And I think, yeah, you're right. We're going to get somebody in. And as George said, you know, he can come back and be the second choice right back in the championship season, come in and cement his place. If, if, if that's the sort of the way the story goes, uh, he's got that in his locker. Right, let's move on. One last thing before we go away from Cardiff, and that's Scotty Parker. And it's kind of, I suppose, a more general point. Three wins now on the bounce, three clean sheets on the bounce. With these start games, you know, of the four games that we were expecting him to actually start performing in, he's managed to get three wins, three clean sheets. And yes, was a bad defeat at Watford. But, you know, that's a tough place to go. Top of the mini league, if you will, this season. Is he starting to look like the favourite for this job? Well, I think when he when he came in, he said the two things he wanted to do were kind of bring a bit of positivity back to the to the club, and also to start to bring our identity back. And I think that's what we're starting to see. We're seeing the players clearly, you know, clearly enjoy working for him. We're starting to move back to the style of play we saw under Slavisa, kind of pass and move football, which is really nice. To be honest, uh, yeah, I do I do think there are more qualified coaches out there. Um, and, you know, I, I can absolutely see us looking for maybe, you know, maybe like we did with Slavisa, maybe looking to a more obscure league and try to pick a, a gem of a head coach out from somewhere there. Um, I certainly don't think it would be... Someone's been listening to this podcast for maybe, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> maybe. Um, no, it's Josuardo Ferreira, is that you? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think there would be better kind of fits and maybe more, uh, you know, people with more qualities than him. But certainly at this point, I don't think he would be a bad choice, and he could certainly hit the ground running now um, through the through the transfer window and into into next season. I guess something that stands out for me is obviously Norwich this year under Daniel Farker had never had a senior head coach job before, had worked under some brilliant coaches at Dortmund, and, and came into Norwich. It was a little bit of a rebuilding project, and then once he got going, it was you know straight flames by all accounts. Um, could we see something similar with Parker in that he's learned under Pochettino, he's learned under Jakanovic, he's obviously learned some defensive tactics from Ranieri. He's, you know, that's three coaches with reputations, uh, shall we say, for, for different styles of football in, in a sense. But also, you know, he's picked up from a lot of coaches during his playing career. Is that something we could, you know, hope for if we did bring Parker in? Oh, certainly so. I think this is a guy where even over the last handful of matches, you're starting to see Fulham morph into a team that you can expect them to be in the future. Bournemouth for me was a great indication, having been there and watched us play that full 90 minutes of what the team we can evolve into being in the next year. We were nice and direct. We kept the ball well. We have grown up massively in these last few games since uh, that, that defeat against Watford in that the naivety that Scott Parker spoke about is almost nearly fully eradicated now in that Premier League players aren't taking advantage of spaces that are opening up through um, like people switching off, losing concentration and, and that sort of thing and being moved out of position way too early. We're being more rigid. We're being slightly more conservative in, in our play and not as open. And it, it's quite nice. We're hitting teams where they don't want to be hit. And I think that's come purely because of Parker and the uh, experience that he's relied upon. Being a Fulham fan, you always sit there with a shred of pessimism and think, at what point are the club going to mess this up? And for me, it comes twofold. Firstly, if we don't appoint Parker 
on the permanent deal and we get someone else in, is Parker going to go elsewhere and look for a first team role, some maybe somewhere in the champ, uh, somewhere else in the championship or League One? Or secondly, if we do ap- appoint him permanently and he gets it wrong, say he gets 10 or 12 games next season and we aren't in the place where we want him to, are we just going to bin him? And in which case, in option one, well, in both options, we've lost a fantastic coach that can give us something huge to build upon. My only drawback with this is that getting a team that's came from the Premier League will see a raft of change. I don't, I don't see that this summer will be as easy as everyone's pointing it out to be. Yeah. Is he going to be able to get that team back to the level it needs to be to get it challenging for playoffs and promotions, etc. so quickly? You look at someone like Frank Lampard, who had never had a coaching job before, goes in and takes Derby, a club with huge weight of expectations on its shoulders, with huge financial um, restraints, but also implications if they don't go up this year and has almost flipped their squad from being the oldest in the division to now the youngest, used contact where possible, built them an identity of football, um, a slick identity of football as well, and is getting them into the playoffs maybe this year. It I think like that's, it, yeah. it's a great achievement from him. Why can't Parker do that? I think similarly. Uh, one of the things on what I was going to bring up for you, Drew, is that I think that Parker Parker's biggest asset is if he can convince the club that he can convince players to stick around at Fulham. And so I think the kind of flip for me is that if Parker can convince the likes of Kearney or Anguissa to stay, stick around, or Mawson and LaMarchand, and LaMarchand's already come out and said he wants to be part of the promotion fight next year. But those kind of players who who are key, maybe Mitrovic, and, and, you know, he's already spoken about Babel in the press. You look at those players and you think, if those players can stay, Fulham will have such a base to build around next season. And for me, maybe that's Parker's greatest asset. He seems to be the one who seems to be able to convince those players to stay if anyone is. Yeah, and that's his USP. And I was going to mention this as well. You know, the next this season, this preseason, I think we're going to keep more players than we necessarily think we will. I said it, I mentioned it on full time. Now, you know, we can't sell everyone. That's just a fact. And I think we're going to keep one or two players that we might not have expected to necessarily have kept. Uh, you know, we can all speculate to who they may be, um, but I think we will. And I think Parker will be key to that. At first, I thought he wasn't the guy and I didn't want to have him. And I said, you know, we've had, uh, you know, two months to try and figure out what sort of club we want to be going forward. But actually, you know, it's like one of those great romance teen flicks. Maybe he was there all along, and maybe he is. Maybe he is the love of our life, and we should we should carry on and 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 take him uh, take him under our wing. I don't know. I, I do think he will stay. I think we've almost had too long to think about it now. And 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 to Ben's point, he could have if we hadn't if he'd sort of had a mediocre sort of uh, tenure and not picked up hardly any points or maybe one win, he might have stayed if we brought somebody else in. But now three runs on the bounce. Not that he's believing his own hype, so to speak, but he's going to be like, look, what else do I need to do? So I think he would go if he brought anyone else in. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I'm a millimetre away from, from chucking myself into the Parker in camp. Parker in. George Parker in, Parker out. Or oh, on the fence, just about Parker in, I think. Ben? Um, her heart really wants to say Parker in. Head saying... Bielsa in. <laughs> the same Bielsa in. Well, there we are. Ben Jarman for you in a nutshell. <laughs> 
Fulhamish has teamed up once again with Beer52 to offer you guys a free crate of craft beer. Just go to beer52.com forward slash Fulham and all you need to do is pay the postage and packaging which is $5.95 and you get a free crate of eight delicious craft beers from all around the world. There's no minimum commitment. You can just buy the free case, try the beers and see what you think and if it's not for you, you can pause or cancel anytime. So go to beer52.com forward slash Fulham and claim your free case today. Right, <laughs> let's get on to our kind of transfer slash question section. We asked you for your questions regarding transfer season, transfer deadlines, all of those things and, and how Fulham are going to set up in the championship next year. So we'll amalgamate this into our question section this week, which means... It's sponsored by Putney Pies, the finest pies in the land. Get 10% off your food on match days by quoting the code who at all the pies and mentioning the Fulhamish podcast. Do go down there. It is actually quite nice. Uh, they do really good food uh, and they'd have really good drinks afterwards in the little basement bunker bar. So that's that. Right. Let's start on these questions. Adam Bright. Should we be looking to sign players with championship experience? I'm going to you, George Singer. I... I... Part part of me when I see that kind of question, I do I do think it is a bit of a bit of a cliche that everyone thinks you know you need this championship experience, you need players who have done it before, you need managers who have done it before. And Look I think at Norwich. Mm, yeah, I, I think I think there's there's plenty of clubs out there have shown on a smaller budget you can get much more bang for your buck if you go out there, you find undervalued players and you and you bring them in. I think you can look at you know teams like Wolves who have bought in a lot of you know through however they did it, through dodgy agent dealings, whatever, have brought in a lot of players from outside of England and a manager from outside of England and done very well. I think, you know, yes, on the flip side, you've got teams like Cardiff who maybe have gone down the more experienced route. I think either one works, but I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. I don't think you need those players or managers who have done it before to actually do well. I think it's more about finding the right players, the right balance and fitting them into a system that works. That's more important here. I would add that, you know, there's an element of uh, team morale. We saw how important that was for us last season, the way the boys were all together. And you look at somebody like Ollie Norwood, who has, he's he is literally, uh, I don't know, he's got the special source right Mr. for this. Mr. Championship. He's, yeah, he's Mr. Championship. You know, everything he's touching is turned into gold. And if you had a player like him in the dressing room, it, it, it must be helping, right? He, as, and as soon as he went to, the, to Sheffield United, they, he must have come in and been like, I don't know, he must have galvanised them, the boys. And I think uh, uh, that will be just as important as, as as sort of talent on the pitch for us, I think, this uh, coming season. Well, there's no real recipe to getting up out of the championship, is there? There's, I think, uh, I think it, what's his name? The guy that played for Blackburn, that's the Sky Pundit, Irish guy. Keith Andrews. Keith Andrews. <laughs> last night was saying, you either go, you, you can do what Middlesbrough done, and waste £66 million on championship experience, but their squad has got so old where they're just relying on that experience to get you through. Or you look at Norwich, and like George says, finding those players where they're perhaps not valued as highly, but they fit a system and they fit a philosophy and they have that potential to go further. They have a higher ceiling for growth, and I think that Fulham have done a great job of getting both of those schools of thoughts together especially in the in the year we got promoted but the year before if you look at that in isolation we were signing players that people have perhaps never heard of you know Cavano came in from Belgium Aite came in from from France and I don't think a lot of people would have known about them and especially with the 
probably the expenditure that we we outlaid on both of them is sort of in the Norwich model. But then last season we meant for a little bit more of a Middlesbrough-esque model with success, which was kind of nice. So if we bring those schools together, it could be a nice recipe for us next season. Of course. I mean, you tweeted about it earlier, but it's Lee Nichols' tweet. He's a Nottingham Forest fan who said an interesting stat from 2017-18 season. Most passes, Fulham, 24,000. Least passes, Cardiff, at 12,000. Both teams promoted, you know, mm. and, and you put it bluntly, bluntly true. <laughs> Two ways to skin a cat, brutally, all with an abundance of flair and beauty. Um, but I, I think that's, that's kind of interesting. You can you can go about this in more than one way. And, and I think that... The further you go into it, you know there are there are players of championship experience who would do important jobs for Fulham, but they have to fit the mould because otherwise you're looking to, you know, bring in someone or, or, or kind of force in a. You look at Jordan Rose, for example, who's been at Norwich mm. this year and hasn't got mm. a look in, and you know he was the championship hitman, the the one they brought in to, to fire them to the kind of you know title or whatever you thought it was, and he's barely got a game. I think what anyone who says, oh, we need the championship experience, I'd think back to the Kit Simons transfer window when we bought in just the player of the season from every club. So Richard Stearman came in, Ben Pringle came in, Tom Kearney came in. Um, <laughs> He's done all right, to be fair, the Kearney yeah, fella. Yeah, yeah, OK. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, th- I think to me that, that just proves that you can't just take all this, you know, quote, experience, shove them all together, and that's that's the recipe for success. You know, there's far more to it. Okay, so Steers was having a great lot last night, wasn't he? Stearman loves the sauce. Never seen anything like it. It was fantastic. I massively enjoyed it. Right, I've got a question that's kind of from two people. So Nathan Vince said, "Which Fulham youth players do you think will have breakthrough seasons next year?" Uh, And Luke at FU Luke said, "How many youth players do we think are good enough to start week in, week out, if any?" So I would, I would lay those to the panel, starting with you, Benjamin. Um, next year I think it won't be someone like Harvey Elliott next year Um, I think his inclusion on the bench is obviously a positive for us as a club but I'm not so sure it will go any further than than that next season Uh, perhaps a few run outs in the in the cup competitions I think if anyone's going to start making an impact it will probably Sess Stephen Sess probably Delatore I'd like to see him gracing the pitch again because I think he's, he's a really good player when he gets going um, it'd be really nice to see Marlon Fossey, um, and it'd be nice to see Matt O'Reilly as well. I, yeah. if, I don't know, given the standard of the Championship and how that waterfall of money from the Premier League is starting to drip its way into the Championship, and how competitive it is becoming, with a lot of clubs, probably the top twelve, being capable of mounting a title challenge. I'm not sure now is the time to start whacking youth players in and if they are going to work straight away. George? Yeah, I, I think if if there were any, in the, in the way that we saw with Ryan Sess, you know, their, their real breakthrough, I think if we had any players of that calibre in that stage of their career, I think we'd already see them start to be bled into the first team. And I think at this point, whilst, yeah, we've seen uh, a few of the guys come through some League Cup games and I think it would be great to slowly bed them into the side and maybe have them on the bench more often and those kind of like as our maybe first reserve kind of players. Uh, I, I definitely don't think it's the right thing to, uh, you know, rely on them too much because it's, it's, really, it's a really tricky league, the championship. And I remember Cessnion in, in his first real season in our kind of first playoff season, it took him a long time to 
actually embed himself into the first 11. Um, I remember, I think, uh, one of the playoff semi-finals, he didn't start. I think he started the second, but not yeah. the first one. So that showed, you know, even a player of his quality wasn't, you know, wasn't first choice necessarily in those playoff games. Um, that just shows, you know, it's such a huge step up from the from youth league to uh, to the championship. So whilst I think all, all the players we just mentioned there, I'd love to see them start to get embedded, start to come off the bench. And, you know, I think maybe it would be great. You know, I totally get your point about Harvey Elliott, but now he's been on the bench a few times. It'd be great to see him get on the pitch in, in a couple of last games of the season, which I think is potentially quite likely to happen mm. i think at that at this point you know that's really all i'd like to see just slowly bed them in get their experience but not necessarily rely on them too heavily taking it on to you drew and, and you know to take on from that point two players that weren't mentioned there but have been around fulham for what seems like forever matthias kate and john dager thornsteinson mm. um who have both kind of torn up trees you know they don't get as much as kind of look through as the likes of Matt O'Reilly and Stephen Sessegnon for, for various reasons. Obviously, we haven't seen them play in the first team, but I've always done well. Matthias Kate has like 50 international caps for Estonia, uh, <laughs> scored like at least 10 goals, 10 international goals, uh, and has always played well. He's always been someone I've kind of rated at youth level. I'd be interested as to if there's anyone sort of outside of the, the periphery, potentially, that you might think that might be looking in and going, maybe this is my opportunity. You know what? I'm not sure there is, and I'll say one thing: what a lot of these players have not even uh, there's not even been a sniff of going out online, which I find odd. And I'm not doing one of those Dean Saunders where I'm saying go out and play in League Two and test yourself against men. But so say you know the players you just mentioned, the two lads there, and um, you know the players like Matt O'Reilly and and Delatore, they've been around for ages as well, and none of them have ever had any sort of any first team squad experience in any league. So I just find it, I just find that a very strange thing. I think I don't expect to see really anyone come through next. I don't want to be doom and gloom, but I don't expect to see anyone come through from the youth team really part next season, apart from probably Steven Sessegnon. And part of the cynic in me, part of me is thinks is that to do with keeping Ryan sweet. Harvey Elliott is, his appearances on the bench are just completely a contract ploy. Uh, to try and please his parents to keep him keep him stay keep him at the it's club. It's also that um, tribunal thing, isn't it? So yeah. if Harvey Elliott does leave uh, on kind of free, the tribunal to determine what fee Fulham would get for him if he stays in England is determined by how close he is to first team level. So having him being on the bench increases Fulham's kind of chances of actually getting something quite a lot from that deal because they're going. He's a 16 year old. He's already been on our bench four times. He's played in the League Cup game they'll be like, he's close to the first team and that would massively increase the, the value he has to the club. So there's politics in it and, and I think, you know, absolutely, it's a, a completely valid thing to do, but I'm not, I don't think we're doing it with any sort of suggestion or real any real intention of playing him in any first team games this season or even next. Um, I don't know. I would be, wouldn't be surprised to see Delatore leave this summer, go somewhere else, it's a la Hindman. Um, That's worked out. Which has, you know, worked out. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and maybe the same for Matt O'Reilly. I know Don will probably commit suicide if that happens, so hopefully it doesn't. Um, I don't know. I don't want to be sound like a downer, but I just think a lot of it is just we'd love to see these players come in, but I'm not sure how much trust anyone in higher up in the club puts in them because we just don't see anything. We just we hear names, we see the t- under-23 games and the clips, and I'm not sure. I don't know. I think the issue, the last few we've had come through thinking kind of, you know, Sessegnon, Pat Roberts, Moussa Dembele, you know, our, our standards of these guys are so high and that's that's probably where all our expectations sit. And, you know, we see 
all these young players come through the same system. You know, I think those those guys, you know, it's amazing to have them on our um, on our roster. But but players with those talent don't come through every year. You know, it, it might be the case that as we saw for a little while, there's you know there's a, a fair bit of time before we actually start to see players of high enough quality come through the uh, come through the academy. Okay. Fair enough. Right, this one's from Christian Liedberg. He says, with Mawson returning from injury, who do you think our centre-back pairing will be next season? Drew, I'll start with you. Mm, I would say Mawson and Le Marchand would be probably what I think it would be. Um, will Ream have a resurgence next season? He, he He's pre- been all right the last couple of games, to be fair to him. Yeah, he has been. Um, I don't know. It will probably, probably actually, Ream will probably be... Uh, Parker will carry on with Ream. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I kind of hope that we're going to go in for one or two, one centre back, uh, not two. I don't think we need too many. As long as it's not Aidan Flint. Like, honestly, we got linked with Aidan Flint every summer for about five Kumas, years, and he's it? just not very good. Yeah. Like, he's just not very good. Yeah, I, I, I fully expect uh, Mawson to really transform, hopefully, the centre of defence next season. Uh, I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but I just feel like. Uh, that's exactly what he's brought in to do. You know, he came in and said, I'm here to do the dirty work. And I really hope that, uh, you know, he will do that. I don't expect him to go at anywhere whatsoever. Um, he'll fully be in next season. And it's just about who goes alongside him. And for me, uh, I don't know necessarily how much Maxime was brought in as a make weight in the Serie deal or how much we actually had our eye on him. Um, but he sounds like he's up for the fight and he sounds like he's going to be around. Um, and we know Reem is capable at this level so long as his... Uh, his back injury is something of the past and he gets over his PTSD from this this season <laughs> then uh, we okay. know there's a player there uh, would you keep Le Marchand Ben George uh, I think you know I, I think he's more than capable for championship level if I'm honest yeah I think Max is, is more than capable of doing well next year I think actually in large portions of this year he has done quite well um, in a team that has really struggled so yeah I'd be quite happy keeping uh, Max around for the next couple of years and in answer to your hypothesis about uh, the Surrey deal very much a case of okay we'll just buy Maxime Lamarchand for uh, a little bit of a deal I think it was to do with pe- uh, kick-on fees wasn't it mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, and a nice little bonus that Nice didn't want to pay by the sounds of it yeah George I think of the the guys on our roster those probably are the two I'd pick um, the thing that concerns me a little bit with the centre-backs we've got is you know they're all coming to probably their prime or past their prime. We've seen it with with Reem Adoy's, you know, fair probably you know past his prime as well. These are players that in a couple of years' time we're probably going to see, uh, you know, start to start struggling in some of these leagues. And for me, I'm kind of looking out there thinking, you know, who's the future of of our defence? I think obviously Mawson's fairly was he 25, 26 Mawson, yeah. so he's still probably a approaching his prime as a centre-back but I think what I'd love to start thinking about is if we can bring in someone younger with a bit of promise bed them into the side I think Alfie Mawson would be a, a wonderful player to to learn and you know build up next to and then hopefully you know if we're thinking about you know promotion in kind of a couple of seasons a Alfie Mawson right in his prime with a a younger you know uh, up-and-coming defender with some more experience next him would would work pretty well. Well, we did sign this kid from Hartlepool for some with some very dodgy doodlings by by the sounds of things, and it's all not very good. But Luca Murphy came in; he's very young, very young. But 
it is regarded very highly, was regarded very highly by a lot of clubs. I know Wolves were in for him. I know, you know, there was rumours of United being in for him. I'm not sure why he signed for Fulham if those things are true. But at the same time, we've got him. And, you know, whatever went on there, and I hope that those things are sorted out behind the scenes, because if we've actually just illegally poached a player from Hartlepool, I'm kind of not cool with that. But, you know, aside from those things and, and taking that, you know, taking the politics away from it, we do look to have acquired a very young, very talented centre-back in Luca Murphy. Right, so there's a question here from Michael Yates, which you referenced earlier, Ben. He says, should we offer Fabri and dollars to Sevilla in exchange for Rico on a permanent deal or stick with Bettinelli? George, you want to start? I, I debate whether he'd he'd want to do it. I know he's he's come out and said all the right things, Sergio, but you, you've always got to question why a player who... You know, a couple of years ago, was winning Europa Leagues, and why he'd be so happy to drop down to the Championship after a, a frankly pretty miserable season with us. Um, I think if you maybe know, he just bloody loves the club, mate. Maybe loves loves Fulham. He can um, come on Fulham if he wants, if he likes us that much. Love it. Um, yeah, I mean, if if that deal was theoretically possible, I mean, absolutely, I'd take it. I think Fabri's a Fabri's a bit of a weird one, and that we've only really seen him play a couple of games for us. Obviously, struggled a, a little bit, but. He he he's, he definitely feels like this unknown quantity, and I'd like to see him play a few more matches. And if you know, if we, well, I I honestly, I, I realistically don't think we've got any chance of keeping Rico. So part of me is thinking, why don't we put Fabri in between the sticks, see what he's all about, and you know, at least there's a potential option there for next year. There was a similar question, I suppose, in some regards to this. In terms of, they were like, would you play just like the youth prospects and the players that we know are going to be here next season for the last couple of games? And while I appreciate that as a kind of an idea and it, that was from from brian brian lake um while well, i appreciate that is it going to be a bit of a catch-22 for scott because part of him is like i need to win as many games as possible to try and secure my job and the other half of him is like the players and the fans would like to see the players that are going to be here next year is, is it a bit of a you know sophie's choice in some regard yeah, it's it's really difficult. Obviously, this is Parker's job interview, and if he can get the best out of the current crop of players that he has, then what better way to sort of demonstrate what you can do going forward next year? At the same time, there will be players there that will be putting pressure on him to play because they want moves away. For example, someone like Babel, he's made it perfectly clear. Although he does like, it, he won't be here next year. Yeah, and you know what? Who can blame him? The Netherlands have got a fairly small pool of players to currently choose from coming up to Euro 2020 and you know he needs to make as much of an impact as possible and I don't think he'll be able to do that in the championship because you know there are a lot of someone like Quincy Promise for example doing quite well with Sevilla um in regards to Rico and Fabri like I don't know why Sevilla would want to take Fabri in the first place he's Spanish he is Spanish yeah but homegrown contingent <laughs> yeah but they don't need it and then Secondly, we've got Thomas Vaklik, who's one of the better goalies in, in La Liga. Um, and they managed to get him out of absolutely nowhere. So I don't think they have any need for Fabri, really. They've got a couple of good keepers coming through the academy as well. I think a guy whose dual nationality is Spanish and Cameroonian at the moment. And he's coming through and he looks really good. So I don't think they'd want Rico back. And if they were going to sell him then they I don't think they, would, they wouldn't deal. want a part exchange with Fabri. But firstly, George, I'm just really disappointed that you've you've even questioned Sergio Rico's quality, to be honest. <laughs> oh, we are. <laughs> we have a fight in the studio now. <laughs> Fabri, is, Fabri is a weird one, though, Drew, because he didn't do too badly. Yeah. I always thought that he didn't do too badly, and 
people just got upset because he wasn't good with Marcus Bettinelli and then he got dropped and, and that was that. Yeah, he came in at the, the, the real panic stations part of the season where, you know, we still had Jukanovic, but like everything started to go wrong quite quickly and then we're all floundering and flapping our arms around and he paid the price and there was the goalkeeping coach debacle and all the stuff around the scenes and he never got the crack of the whip. Uh, despite, having, as you say, not doing too badly. Um, he certainly was... Uh, his worst moments were no worse than what we've seen from Rico sometimes in his in his run, and albeit he's had a lot more games. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, the jury's out on Fabri, and I think they will be forever out, as I don't think he'll he'll play for us next season either. Um, but it, it is a strange one, and it was one of those points where it was all just that weird sort of eight games under Jukanovic that most of us forget now. Uh, but, yeah, he's going to be a casualty of that, I think. Okay, right, I'm going to roll a couple of questions into one. So Anonymous Fulham said, recruitment needed right back, question mark, striker, question mark, wingers, question mark, centre back, question mark. Are four or five new players needed with more pace and intensity about their play to match our existing flair signings, which seems quite reasonable. Um, Colm says, a new right back, centre back and striker, anything I've missed. Um, But I think the kind of you know where we go from this is this is from prime session he says name your top three transfer targets for next year and i think what i would like to do is kind of where pick three positions where you strengthen and then maybe a, a sensible person for each of those positions so i'm going to go to you first george do you want positions or names what would you like well, both i want you to name both. a position why and the name you would pick <sighs> a name you would pick not necessarily the one but but someone that might be able to fill that position so for me, probably the first position I'd pick would be centre-back. Um, like I said, at this point, I think what, what we really need is some... We need to kind of work out who the who the future of our centre-back partnership, hopefully with, with Mawson, is going to be. Um, at this point, I'd love to... Honestly, you know, I'd, I think some of the things that I've really enjoyed from our transfer windows recently is being able to kind of poach these guys from kind of really obscure leagues and get them on on really good value you know mention people like Floyd Ayite, Niskan Scabano who have come in, Dennis Adoy to an extent who's you know come out there from fairly obscure places um, with you know low low cost low wage and come in and do a really good solid job so rather than just picking a, a name out of the hat of someone who you know might cost a fair bit because they're well known I'd much rather we you know found a hidden gem from out I don't know. I'm looking at you, Ben. If you know any like <laughs> Spanish second division, anyone of the okay, shallow. What I'll do is I'll switch the question around for you, George. And, and you just name your three positions, and then we can we can move it onwards. Is it? So you'd have a centre back. What, what other two positions do you think Fulham need to strengthen most? Centre back, right back, striker. Right. Okay. Are we assuming that Alexander Mitrovic is off with that, or do you think we need backup even if he stays? Um, I think we do. I think it's unlikely that Abu's going to come back. Um, even if when his loan does finish, I, I think it's, it's quite likely he's going to go as well. Um, I don't have any desire to see Rui Font back in a Fulham shirt. Did score yesterday. He did. They already went to as well. Yeah, yeah, they were already four 0 up at that point or something. They were. They? Yeah, he scored the fifth. Um, yeah, I. They all count. They. Yeah. Um, I. I don't. I wouldn't particularly like to see either of them in a in a Fulham shirt for very different reasons. So, assuming both them move on, we really need some backup for Mitrovic. So, whether Mitrovic stays, it's one. If Mitrovic goes, it's two. Okay. And ben? even if they did stay, we'd need backup. They no. I thought that last year. Like it's just not. 
Good enough. It was never good enough. Look, I, I mean, I know that Rufon didn't perform very well, but that said, he only actually played three games or four games at number nine for Fulham. Uh, in those four games, he scored four goals. Um, you know, he, he got a couple of assists. I know he came off the bench and was pretty ineffective for, for various, for, 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 you know, numerous times. But also he was played out wide as, as a winger for like long periods where Jokanovic, you know, insisted on playing Steph Johansson as a false nine and, and all of these things. Uh, that you know, I do think that if he was just given a run at nine in the championship, he'd be perfectly acceptable. You know, we saw how good he was against Ipswich in that first game, and and it kind of just all went downhill from there. He injured himself. We didn't see him back in his shirt for sort of four weeks. When he came back, he had that game against QPR where he missed the penalty, and all confidence seemed to drain out of him. But he did then assist the second about two minutes later with a really good run down the right. Uh, I just think that he wasn't ever really given a fair crack at the whip at nine. And he was he was brought in as a nine, and just because he was a little bit small and wasn't that much of a target man, he was almost like straight away written off as he can't do that job. And maybe that's you know a fault with with the fans and with Slavisa who who wanted one of those battering ram nines. <coughs> and he eventually got, and it obviously worked in his system. I'm not criticizing him having that, but under a different system, Rui Font might flourish. Yeah, I mean he's technically very good player still. Um, he's done some good work over in France this year, so I wouldn't be adverse to him coming back. It would just be nicer to have a little more pace. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Hey, and we've already talked about a number nine that we'd both like to bring in in Raul de Tomar. Yeah. On reflection, that's probably a little bit reaching, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit ambitious. He's scored, he's scored a lot of goals this season, and there's already talk about Zidane wanting to use him next year, so maybe a bit above us, Jackie. Maybe, potentially. Where do you need, think we need to strengthen, Drew? Uh, well, you mentioned right back, George, and I think that is, uh, we mentioned Cyrus Christie earlier, I don't think he's the type, uh, really what we want to go in as first choice. Uh, one name that I did see sort of touted around, not necessarily for us, but as a, I know he's done really well in the Championship this year, is Reese James yep. on loan at uh, Wigan. Uh, particularly footballer. Yeah, and particularly good with his uh, with his crosses, which is something that we didn't have with, even we didn't have a Fredericks uh, necessarily. Uh, well, Oh, yeah, here and there, here and there, uh, and you know I think that he could be quite a nice foil on the other side to to Joe Bryan, as you know we obviously do put quite a lot of uh, impetus in our in our fullbacks, um, but I can see that uh, Chelsea want a lot of money for him already. Uh, not that we'd be afraid to spend uh, to spend that necessarily, but teams like Brighton apparently in for him, so I don't know if that would be uh, quite difficult. We do have a quite a good relationship with Chelsea, getting loans in. They might not want to let him go. There um, is new loan rules, and this was in the questions, so I think it was probably a good time to bring it up. Oh, you're about to blow the, my mind. Well, they're not allowed to loan everyone out again. Chelsea's Chelsea's loan empire is over, um, so you know people are only going to be allowed to loan out sort of six to eight players. Um, per season, oh, which does mean that there's going to be a fire sale at Chelsea of like because they just have way too many players. Yeah. Um, and you know this is the, that's the kind of thing that flips this a little bit for me, and that I don't think we'd be able to get Reese James on loan. No. What I do think is that Chelsea might be open to selling him if you were to you know, if you were to offer the right amount of money. I think he might be a little bit expensive for a, for a new Championship side, even with parachutes, but. You know, there is there is a thing here that's going to happen where a lot of players are going to be made available for sale because people just can't keep on to all of these players anymore because they're not on You know, someone like... Do you know who the team with the most players out on loan in Europe is? Hint, it's not Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Udinese. Mm, yeah, Pozzo family. 
they have something like 55 players out on loan. Mm. You, you can't have 55 players out on loan. Like, surely someone's going to have to be like, right, we're going to have to play some... Someone's going to have to sell all the players. They'll amazing. probably just they'll probably just end up buying another club and just sending them all there. Yeah. Because yeah. to give context to some of the listeners that probably don't know this, a lot of their um, loanees are from academies that they run in different parts of the world to Italy. And they bring them in and then they farm them out to different teams in either the lower Italian leagues or they'll loan them to Granada, a team they used to own. Or they used to be able to give them to Watford, Watford. but they can't anymore. So what they'll probably do is buy a team somewhere in the realms of, I think they were looking at Belgium and maybe somewhere in Germany. And they what they will do is they will register these players elsewhere yep. and just get through it. It's basically like when a car ownership or a dealership wants to register a new car so they can get a bonus is basically just what they do yeah Juventus also have 47 players out on loan it's them two and Chelsea are the top three in Europe mm. so you know there are going to be this these new rules and, and to answer the question I suppose a little bit which was how are they going to affect us these new rules should help because Fulham building around loan signings has been a problem and we mm. saw that this year because when we went into the season we didn't have enough players basically because we had so many loan deals whereas I think that these new rules will help in terms of people won't be able to have loan farms anymore and we will have to you know players will go for less value because they won't be able to hold on to them because wages will become an issue and therefore I think in general it might help um, for, for someone like Fulham but you know, I think something we haven't talked about, and I suppose it's related in a while, is, is Callum Chambers. You know, and, and while I do think there will be Premier League clubs in for him, if he genuinely has enjoyed his time, which he seems to have, built a relationship with, with some of the players and things, if Fulham making Callum Chambers' move permanent would be a very, very good deal. And I think CDM remains... CDM, my, my three positions I would strengthen, assuming we keep Mitrovic, are CDM, right back and CAM because I don't every time Tom Kearney gets injured we don't have a 10 we just don't have one it doesn't exist and the 10 is so crucial to Fulham system and you can see that with Kearney that you know when we don't have him we lose all our direction in some regard and I think it's going to have to be someone a bit random because I don't think the likes of Bradley Dack is going to sign to us to be a, a well, he's not going to sign and be a, a foil to Tom <sighs> Kearney is he much as I would love Bradley I wish Dack he would. I you know, I would. agree. But I think it's going to have to be someone a bit random, like you say, George, from a, maybe from a more obscure league, in order to come in and and play that position because mm. they're not going to get that many chances should Kearney remain fully fit. Yeah, I've got a couple of tens. One of them was Dak, and another one was someone that I actually watched this year um, whilst I was went to go and watch Ajax, but unfortunately their game was rescheduled for when they slayed Real Madrid. Um and this is a guy who, when he first came through the ranks at his current club, was meant to be the next best thing in terms of being a creative midfielder. Um, he went to PSV for big, big money um, and didn't do much there for the next four years, but has gone back to RZ where he is now. And it's Adam Mayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy, I've never seen... Well, I have seen, but I've never been so impressed with someone's technical ability and their ability to stand out above every single person on the pitch and control it from not only a deep position but also one that is basically on the edge of the opponent's box this guy's two-footed he's got some wonderful vision uh i thought that he drifts around the pitch effortlessly he finds lots of space and i think that that is someone and the eredivisie itself being 
a league where youngsters are flourishing again and affordable is somewhere that we should be looking this summer. Adam Mayer, for me, is is someone that we should be going out full blast for across the summer. And I think one of his teammates would also do a really good job of filling one of the voids that we have at right back. His name is Jonas Svensson. He's only been with them for, I think it's just over 18 months. And he's uh, he's a flying right back who's very good at going forward. But most, most of all, he's very good at defending. And he's a guy that has huge concentration. He will never switch off. Um, he's an excellent user of the ball. And uh, yeah, he's impressed hugely in his couple of seasons in Holland. And he was born and bred in, I think it was at Bronby or one of the one of the Danish clubs, and uh, has has yeah really really hit the ground running. Danes have done well for us historically. Mm. We've had a, we've had a number of great Danes, including your pal Super Klaus. Oh yeah, love Klaus. What a classy man on and off the pitch. <laughs> what a guy. Makes me purr. Right, I think that's literally all the questions. No um, one's mentioned like the wingers yet. I this was something I wanted to bring up in that we're desperate for a right winger. We really are. If Seth stays, then that's the left wing berth mostly nailed down. Would you not play him? He's been playing right wing over the last few games. Which is potentially why he's been so ineffective. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, 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 you know, Barbara's been shunted for Barbara in a way, and, you you know, you get the whole loan versus permanent thing again. We used to have more. We used to have stronger wings than the mighty eagle once in once upon a time. But now we're sort of we've well, had them I clipped. Mean, we haven't seen too much of Aita and Cabano this season. I both. I think they can both probably still do a job in the championship next year. But you know, if we're going to look to to come straight back up, which I imagine the club will be looking to do, then potentially we need to breathe some life into those wings, which might be a little bit tired. To be fair, you mm. gave us three positions. <laughs> If, yeah, we're to, if, no, we're talking about, if we're, if we're talking about, if we're talking about, it was a question, about, not me. <laughs> yeah, I know we are screwed, though, aren't we? If we're going to go into, uh... I mean, if we're talking about wings and eagles, why not go to the land of the bald eagle, the USA, and look at MLS? Perhaps MLS, MLS is a nice, is a lovely nice league. Seg. Is a lovely league now. Yeah, the MLS um, is actually bored. Re- really, really coming up with some good quality and someone that Jack and I have spoken about a lot, a lot actually over the past year. Um, and a club that we've spoken loads about is Atlanta United, and they've got a lovely right winger called Julian Gressel, um, German who, fella. German fella who's grown up in the USA. Um, he's done some really good things for them. I think that's someone that we could be looking at. And I know a lot of our American listeners might want to provide either their opinion or an alternative on Mr. Gressel. Yeah, we'd we'd like that. Um, I'm obviously a fan of the Mullus, as is Mules. as is Ben, um, but. We don't watch it as much as I imagine people over the pond do. So if you have some suggestions from the MLS, do let us know and we'll do a deep dive into the MLS and what all the players at Fulham should sign from America as a no special MLS episode. No MLS goalkeepers though, because they're all crap. No, they are really bad. Um, apart from... Uh, Brad Guzan. Apart from Brad Guzan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, no, we, we'll do a deep dive into America in the summer maybe then with, uh, with some listener input. So please do let us know. Um, right, let's talk about Wolves very briefly before we wrap this up. Um, they're good, we're not, um, and, and we're probably going to lose. And Sin Cara is going to be there, isn't he, Drew? Yeah, he's going to be there as at the request of the Wolves MD uh, in the crowd. Uh, and we speculate that Tony Khan might come out at full time and sign Sin Cara. But the catch being, when you got to watch Raw next week to find out, is he signed for Fulham or is he signed for AEW? Who knows? Uh, we could probably do worse at the moment than a striker who runs around put masks, put masks on. Um, George, I'm just going to run through all of you quickly. What team would you put out on Saturday? 
Um, more of the same, I think. We're we're seeing some uh, some good momentum being built. I particularly like the midfield. I really like the balance of Anguissa and Chambers. I think they complement each other quite nicely. Um, yeah, more of the same for me. Okay, Benjamin, would you make any changes? Probably bring Pascal Zubuler in for a <laughs> little go in there. Why not? Yeah, Nicky Shorey at left back. I was like I said to you today. I was buzzing when we signed Shorey. I thought what he was player. amazing. What a, what a player he was. Would you make any changes for the lineup on Saturday? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think I would make any changes. I Dennis think. is out, so I assume we're going to have to play Cyrus around. You know back. what? And I think a lot of fans will probably be really shocked when I say this. I actually think Dennis has done exceptionally well for the past couple of games. I thought at Bournemouth he was class, really, really good. Kept uh, King and, and Wilson under wraps really nicely. It's a bit of a shame to see him get kicked in the head really wasn't it yeah it wasn't nice and nice man we are praying for Dennis would you make any changes apart from the enforced ones no I wouldn't um you know when you're winning it's easy isn't it to keep the keep that winning feeling alive and keep that momentum going it's uh it makes the lineup questions uh a lot easier than uh they have been for the previous 35 games no keep it the would same. you would you play Cyrus Christie or would you give Steven Sessa run out oh I love we're gonna get spanked by Wolves anyway so no maybe not just for his confidence oh uh, we're gonna go f- Four unbeaten and four clean sheets. Yeah. Trust. We're, we're yeah. going to win three now. It's going to be mad. I've never seen. Uh, we're not, not top going. six sides, so they can't beat us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going on the weekend because I've been to Modern New seven times and never seen Wolves lose. So I'm actually, yeah, I think for the best for everybody. It's probably for the best. That I've, you know, it's not, it's not going to be pretty and it's not going to be good. But I'm just, I just don't think I can go for everybody's sake. Something to be said. Are they? They're in pole position for seventh place, aren't they? They are now. It's a, it's a pretty much a straight fight now between them, Watford and Leicester, but. Um, uh, Leicester are in, in, in kind of good gears, but they also have to play City at the weekend. So I would imagine that Wolves, although having to play Liverpool on the last day of the season, will um, probably nab that seventh spot, especially with Watford thinking about an FA Cup final. Absolutely. I think if uh, if City win the final to go to seventh place, the, uh, yes. the Europa League. So no, Wolves have potentially got that to go for. So it's Wolves for Europa League spot. Game. No, no, very much not for them. And, and for us, we can still finish above Cardiff. Yeah, <laughs> the dream lives on, lads. The dream lives on. Right, that is all we've got time for on this week's Fulhamish podcast. Thank you as ever for listening to us, Ben. Do you want to name the podcast this week, Jack? I'm going to call it Unlucky Colin. Oh, actually, some a Cardiff fan got really upset because apparently someone brought a bag of carrots um, to the game and fed the police horses, and he was absolutely fuming. You made a very good joke Thank about you. it too on on Twitter. Felt like it someone did ask us actually, you know, to t- quickly turn back to the question bag. Someone did ask us, what's the most irrational thing you've ever seen someone hate Fulham for? Is it for bringing a bag of carrots? Because that's high up the list, I think. But apart from the, the, the obvious with the clappers and all that nonsense, uh, nah, just being too kind, just being too nice and, yeah. and placid in general, which seems to really rile people up. It's like, what do you want me to do? Like, show you my swastika on my left tit and nut you? Like, I don't know. I'm just a nice person, so deal with that. <laughs> I can't wait for you to do that once you've had your child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my friends got really irate about us having wooden seats in the Johnny Hain, uh, in the Johnny Haynes stand, yeah, uh, unnecessarily. I've seen a fan, a QPR fan once, got really angry when he was like, when you kick the ball over the, the, the stand, it goes in the river. Pathetic. I was like, what? Ball wasters. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry? I was like, just because you've got one ball at QPR that you have to keep using, if it gets kicked out, you have to go send a man round the back to get it for you. <laughs> we can afford to kick a few balls in the river, actually, mate. George, you got anything irrational? 
I've seen. I swear, I, I saw a picture of a Fulham fan eating an MS um, meal deal. Mm. That would that did the rounds. That was Don Betts. Was it Don Betts? <laughs> yeah, enjoying his um, chicken and avocado. Yeah, and his G and T out of a can. Was Pina it? Colada, yeah. On TFL as well. <laughs> Joker. <laughs> what a guy. Right, that's all we got time for. Thank you to George Singer. Thank you. Thank you to Ben Jarman. Thanks, Jack. Thank you to Drew Heatley. Thank you very much. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. Take it easy.